Hey everyone, you ready for Sunday night? Hey, listen, I got news for you. You're gonna have a great message on how do you get through all of this madness? How do you get through the tribulation period? And uh, listen, you're about ready to find that out uh, from a good friend, Mark Henry, because right now while you're watching this, I'm at a baptism in Oceanside, California, doing my duties as a pastor. So be blessed tonight. I'll be back live next week as we continue with the Minor Prophets. Not sure which one that's going to be yet, but be super blessed by Mark Henry. God bless. In fact, you can't underestimate the power of music. A couple of weeks ago, I was having lunch with Pastor Luke. And uh, if you know anything about Pastor Luke's story, he grew up in South Africa. He grew up in apartheid. Apartheid was not a great time in South Africa. In fact, um, if you look back through history, most people do not live in good and easy times. Most people live with a lot of brokenness, injustice, sorrow, and heartache all of the time. Anyways, as we were talking, and, and um, it just, he, you know, he, just, he talked with me, and he just said, uh, you know what, it would be possible to share some of my songs on Sunday. I said, yeah, let's, let's even make a whole, kind of like a whole Sunday, uh, and do that in a couple of services and so forth. And, and it just got me thinking about music specifically, and I had never done this. Now, I had taught about the songs in the book of Revelation, but I was blown away. Did you know there's 27 songs in the book of Revelation? 27 of them. Holy moly. 27. There they all are. And as you read through these songs, it's amazing to see the different, uh, well, the different themes that you see. For example, in, in chapters 4 and 5, I mean, there's going to be these songs of, of worthiness and so forth. And then sometimes there's laments on the earth and and it's fascinating to see how, how these songs in heaven reflect something that's just about ready to happen on the earth. I mean, when, one of the things that you see about heaven, it's not only a real place like Pastor Rick talked about a couple weeks ago, it's a place where the redeemed are interested in the things that are going on. How are things playing out? And then there's these songs of praise all the way through, 27 songs. That's a lot of music in 22 chapters, don't you think? And so I just kind of taken back, and I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you about music and specifically about the book of Revelation. Now, this is kind of the layout of the book of Revelation. This is kind of like a helpful chart. I'm kind of like a chart person. I like to organize things and try and figure out how the pieces fit together. And, and that is, um, uh, you know, when you're reading through the Bible, they didn't, they didn't have watches and clocks on like, like you and I have. I mean, how many of us have a phone right now that's telling us what time it is? And we put, we, you know, we, we have calendars and everywhere we go, Jared and I sit down and we're working on our calendars months and months and months ahead. And, and um, uh, all of our staff meetings, everyone's got their calendars there. I mean, there's calendars everywhere. That's how we function. But that's not how the Bible was written. And so things are talked about. And sometimes you look at them and go, that's not the right sequential order. And it's, it's not. And if you go to other cultures and other places where they don't have phones, they don't all carry around computers, it's exactly the same way. It's interesting how Westerners attack the Bible for not being truthful because it, the sequences are out. Of, and it's like, have you never been to a third world country? Have you never been anywhere else but America? No, everyone who's attacking the Bible seems to only look through their lenses. Anyways, when you look at the book of Revelation, um, from chapter 4 and chapter 5, we have the rapture of the church and that scene in heaven. Pastor Rick talked a little bit about that. And then we've got seven years and, and about halfway through the tribulation, we know that Satan is cast out of heaven and, uh, and God's judgments take place. There's the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. Anyways, we'll look at all of that down the road. But what I want you to catch with me is this, is a couple of songs. 
and I want you to see how powerful music is. In fact, one of the great arguments, does God exist, is there a God, is music. I mean, how come music exists instead of not existing? And then why does it work? Why does the math of music work? I mean, that is creative genius. And if you think about music, it's not just what happens with a guitar. I mean, think about the vocal component, right? Let's just, let's just talk about vocal for a second. And you hear Tyler's voice, and you think, wow, that's amazing. I mean, I can't even stay on pitch. And, you know, anyways, it goes on and on there. But then you think about different instruments, and you think about, you know, like chords on a guitar and, and where, you, where you pinch those chords down depending on the size of the chord and how short and how long it is, all of those different tunes, and then you can arrange them and make music. That's amazing. Some of you are going to go camping. You're going to be at these beautiful lakes in Minnesota, and you're going to be there, and those, those crazy birds, the loons, right? I mean, the loons, I, my son just sent me a, a video. He was up in Alaska, and he was out chasing bears, and anyways, he, he uh, took this video right at dark, midnight in Alaska, and and you hear these loons, and I was actually going to play it for you this morning. We weren't able to do that, but it's just amazing. I'm sitting there going, God, the music of that is amazing. I don't even have to be there. I don't have to see it. I can tell you it's a loon, and I can tell you the, mo- the, 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 the music that the moose make and the ducks make and the different species of ducks and the different species of geese, and I mean, I just go on and on. All of through creation, there's all this amazing music, and, and then we look in heaven, and we see some amazing music. I want you just to read four of them with me, and then I want us to zero in on one. The first one is this Revelation 4 and 5. It's almost like you can't miss it. In fact, go ahead and look there with me in Revelation 4 and 5, and just underline them. We don't have time to really look at them in any length, but I just want you to notice who is singing and what they're singing about. I want you to notice how there's some repeated songs, kind of like the background music, you know, like when you go to a store, um, they have that elevator music, you know? Uh, that's, that's in the store. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a music that's always playing in heaven in the background. Sometimes it's louder, sometimes it's, it's a little quieter, but there's this music that's always playing in the background. We first find it in Isaiah 6, where it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it says the angels, the seraphim, are singing that continuously. Now, it shouldn't surprise us in Isaiah 6, that's 700 years before Jesus, if we fast forward book of Revelation, we get to chapter 4 and chapter 5, the rapture of the church has taken place, and we're in heaven. And what do you find? Seraphim still singing the same thing, exactly like it says. Are you there with me? Revelation chapter 4. And if you look in verse 8, it says, Day and night they do not cease to say... Now, some people say, I don't like music with repetition. You've obviously never, if anybody says that to you, just smile. Because all, how many of you ever said something stupid? All right, I try to reduce the amount of times I say that. But repetition is one of the things that God gives us. Some people say repetition is something the devil does. Friends, you haven't read the Bible. The repetition in heaven is this ongoing thematic song. And it's right there in verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, of course, if you've already read the first couple chapters, you know specifically about which person of the Trinity who was, who is, and who is to come. Who's coming? The Lord Jesus. And so we didn't catch that in the Old Testament, but we catch it in the New Testament. We catch it in the book of Revelation. And so Jesus right here is actually receiving, the Trinity, of course, is being glorified, but, but Jesus specifically. And so the angels in heaven are singing about the glory of Christ. And then, and then as you 
read down through there, the 24 elders are the next group. In verse 10, it says the 24 elders fell down. Now, most theologians, and I think probably rightly so, think it represents the church, the church being broken up into 24 different, represented by 24 different elders. It's a long story to that. We'll do it another time. But it says they're sitting around the throne, and it says in verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory, honor, power, for you have created all things, and uh, by thy will they exist and were created. Let me ask you a question. Who created the heavens and the earth? Colossians chapter 1, second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, most of us automatically think it's the Father that creates that. But if you read Hebrews chapter 1, it says the Father created the world through his Son, Jesus Christ, who created all things, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers. Nothing has been created that exists that, did not, that was not created by the Lord Jesus, angels and principalities included. So, so now, so you have the angels, now you have the, the 24 elders, I would suggest to you that's us, and then as you keep on reading, the 24 elders have another song, and it says in verse 9, and they sang a new song, are all new songs bad? No, here's a new one. Worthy art thou, and then if you actually track, in verse 11 in chapter 4, worthy, you got to underline that word, chapter 5, verse 9, worthy, do you notice the theme starting to develop here? And it talks about worthy are you to take the book and to break the seal. And remember, Pastor Rick talked about that, how there's the scene in heaven, the Father's sitting on the throne. He's got a scroll. Who is worthy to take the book? No one's worthy. John starts to cry. One of the angels comes to John, stop your crying, you wimp. Anyways, because worthy is the lamb that was slain. And Jesus shows up, the lion of Judah, and he takes the scroll. We'll talk about that in, uh, in the next week. We're going to look at chapter 6 and 7. But, but then, they, then this eruption, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seal? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood um, from every tribe, language, and people. And you have made us a kingdom of priests to, dwell, to reign upon the earth. So, so again, another song. You seeing it with me? Uh, we're, uh, a, a theme of worthiness. If you skip on now down to chapter 5 in verse, um, verse 11, there's another group that's singing in heaven. It's angels. It says, the voice of many angels, myriads and myriads. In other words, a group of angels that are without number. There's so many of them, all right? So think about angels like the stars of the sky, okay? And it says the angels are singing with a loud voice. Now, some people say, you know, music should not be loud. Just so you know, take earplugs with you to heaven. Seriously, because there is a lot of loudness in heaven, and it's the worship and celebration of God. Now, I've got damaged ears. I can't handle very many decibels, so I actually do carry earplugs. Like, I can't even go to a basketball game. Uh, even, even our kids' stuff here that happens, like we're doing something in Awana here, this room, I have to put earplugs in because I got damaged hearing, all right? But I want you to know you're going to have good hearing in, in uh, heaven, and when these angels start doing it, you guys are going to be celebrating. Look at what the angels are saying. Worthy is the lamb. Third time worthy is used. Have you noticed the theme? Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then in verse 13, there's another group that sings. And it says, and every created thing. Now, how many things does that include? Like every created thing. Think about that. Everything. Remember, remember when uh, they told Jesus, tell these people to stop singing Hosanna in the highest. Tell them to stop singing. Jesus says, if I tell them to stop singing, the rocks are going to start crying out. You remember that? Remember when Jesus says that? Well, in this situation, there is so much celebration in heaven, God's going to stop the clock, kind of like a basketball game, stop the clock, 
and everything that's been created is gonna start erupting and blessing God. Can you imagine that? Just, and look what it says. To him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, and to the Lamb. I want you to notice how Jesus is receiving the uh, equal worship. Why? Because in the Trinity, there exists three eternal, three co-eternal, co-equal beings filled with the same glory, majesty, power, and glory, yet distinct in their necessary existence. So to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing, honor, glory, dominion forever and ever. And it says the four living creatures, those are the ones that started this whole thing that sing all the time, and they're crying out, amen, amen. They're, this does not sound like the church I grew up in. It doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of engagement going on. So, so if you will, it's like chapter four, this group starts singing, they stop. This one starts singing and they're trying to outsing this group. And then the angels get into it and they're outsinging this group. And now all of them are out singing. And then they've got these four mighty angels around the throne who cover their eyes and, and, and cover their feet and fly with two wings and they're crying, amen, amen. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy awesome. All right. I think I got a little excited about that. Sorry. Anyways. So that's, that's just the first group of songs. There's six of them there. There's six songs right there. And by the way, you say these are awful short songs. No, they're repeated. They're going over. They're, they're, all right, these are chorus lines that they're singing over and over. It's not like just doing it once and it's like three, 30 seconds. You know. Anyways, and then in chapter 12, now we're going to skip some songs. But I just want you to see this next one. I want you to underline it in your Bible. Chapter 12, there is this moment in heaven and we think it happens right here with the abomination of desolation about that same time where Satan is cast from heaven. What is Satan doing right now? Say, Satan's after me, Mark. Well, not, Satan is not omnipresent. He's not God. And he has many angels. A third of all the angels that God created followed him. And you say, how many is that? I don't know, it just says a third. But if there's myriads and myriads without number of angels and a third of them uh, Satan took, he's got a bunch of them is my point. And it says that they are out there always tempting and trying to deceive and trying to trick us, right? And so when we look in, in chapter 12, we know that Satan is the accuser of the brother. In other words, he stands before God insulting. Did you see what, did you just see what he did? And he, you, you say that you love him. What do you love him for? He's insulting God's grace that's been lavished upon you. And if you read through biblical history, you're going to find numerous people, high-profile people. Who are the high-profile people? The people who are righteous in any generation. So, for example, in the book of Job, it says that Satan comes before God, and God asks him, like God needed to ask. But he needed to ask so that we would know, right? So bear with God in this folly, this silliness. He knows everything. He didn't have to ask. But, but he does it for our sake. He says, say, say Satan, where have you, you been? I've been out walking around the earth. I said, hey, did you notice Job? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God says, he's a really righteous guy. He's rubbing it in. And he says, oh, he's only a righteous guy because you protect him. Take away everything and he'll curse you to your face. You guys all familiar with this story? Right? And God says, okay, you can't kill him, but you can take away all of his stuff because he's a righteous man. He's going to follow me and you're wrong. How many of you ever been told you were wrong? And then you had to be tested and to find out that you were only wrong and someone had said, told you so. That's exactly what God does in that situation. 
And then he comes back and he said, time goes on. Satan never brings him up. And God's kind of like, finally, you know, we don't know how long it is, but it's an extended period of time. He says, hey, Joe, uh, uh, Satan, did you notice that Job never cursed me? <laughs> did you notice that? It's like God's got to bring it up. It's slapping Satan around a little bit. It's a beautiful moment. And then he says, well, if you take away his health. God says, okay, you can take away his health, just don't kill him. And so Satan now has boils on him. His life stinks. See, my life stinks. Well, I just want you to know, hold on to God. Don't curse God. Do what is right. Because when you get to chapter 38, God says, Satan, leave the guy alone. Because God has authority over all things. Well, anyways, he's going to do this all through history. This is this glorious moment where he's booted out of heaven. I mean, it's a great moment. And so I want you to see what happens in this song. It says there in uh, chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who was called the devil. Now, it's going to get used in the past tense and stuff because John's looking. Anyways, just trust me. We'll talk about it later. The devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world, who was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Get out of heaven. We're done with you. Amen. Okay. Now, what happens in heaven at that moment? Notice verse 10. I heard a loud voice. You see how the music is loud there? I, and I'm not trying to make a point other than this. Heaven is filled with celebration in the engagement of people. The angels are engaged. The people are engaged. It's not passivity, friends. So much of American Christianity is passivity. And like we're like just evaluating, oh, you know, this was wrong or that was wrong. No, this is total engagement. Um, how many of you ever watched, like, a, I got a friend, his name's Gary. When he watches like a basketball game or a football game and he's on his couch, He's like yelling and screaming at the TV. He's yelling and screaming at the referees. He's, he's like, he's got like a football and he's throwing it at the, at the television. You're like, calm down, dude. I mean, it's a, it is a, I mean, you get popcorn and you drink your Mountain Dew and you watch him because he's so animated and engaged with what's happened. That's what I want you to see is happening, okay? So this is what happens. It says in verse 10, now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. In other words, God's done with you. And he goes on, for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. That's what he's doing right now. And they overcame him, talking about the redeemed, they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. How do we overcome Satan? By the blood of the lamb because of the word of his testimony, the word of God, and they did not love their life even unto death. So underline those three things. How do we overcome Satan? By the blood of Christ, by the word of God, and by loving God more than you love your own life. Friends, if you and I love our own life and we love ease and comfort, we will never be the overcomers and the worshipers and the followers of Christ that we should be. Those three things are absolutely necessary. Verse 12 now this, this, this turning there, it says, for this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So, and you dwell in all those redeemed. And then, so there's this rejoicing directed towards them, and then there's this woe to the earth. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. He is ticked. And not only are they experiencing the wrath of Christ because of the rebellion, but now even Satan's wrath is upon the earth. Listen, if you go with Satan instead of God, I don't know where you're at in the journey today. You say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Just know you're on the wrong team. 
And when you're on the wrong team, Satan only keeps you on his team as long as he can to use you and abuse you. And then once he gets his chance, he sticks a knife in you and he's going to stick a knife in those who have been following. That's just the way he works. Have you ever had a friend stab you in the back? Promise you one thing and do something totally different? That's this Satan. You don't want to be following him. You want to follow Christ. We get to chapter 15 and there's another song and we won't, I'll just, let me just, just turn there really quick. And this is right before the final bowl judgments of God. There's three judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments, and they're sequential, and, and uh, uh, they're, they're, they're moving uh, during these seven, seven years. But this is like, this, these seven bowls are like just totally destroying everything because Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth, and his judgment is real, and it's not a joke. Just as it wasn't a joke in Noah's day when God said, I'm tired of the violence on the earth. My spirit will only strive with man for 120 years. And then that's it. And so time's up. Anyways, so we get to this moment and it says there that, well, just, just really quick, just jump to the verse three. It says, and they sang the song of Moses. What is the song of Moses? Right there in your Bible, write Exodus 15. Exodus 15, it's the great moment when God's power, majesty, and and his authority is seen because, remember, the people of Israel are in bondage. They're in Egypt. They've been slaves for 120 years, his people. You say, why has God allowed that? Because the iniquities of the Canaanites were not full yet, but now their iniquities were full. And he says, that's it. You guys are going to the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he tells Moses to go and lead the people out. The problem was Pharaoh was the strongest dude on the planet. He had the biggest army. It was mechanized. It was serious. And they had no chance of breaking away and surviving. They would be killed. Their children would be killed. There was no chance. The problem is there's a God in heaven. And when there's a God in heaven, Pharaoh doesn't have a chance. Moses goes to him and says, God says, let the people go. He says, who is God? And then he says, my God is greater than your God. In fact, my God's plural because they worship the Nile, they worship frogs, they worship bulls, they worship, they, worship, they worship everything. They worship the sun. Anyways, Pharaoh thought he was a God. His whole life, they'd been saying, you are a God. And he says, who is this God? I'm God. I'm gonna do whatever I want. 10 plagues later, he found out he wasn't God. But then he hardened his heart again and you remember when the people are going to the wilderness it says that he hardens his heart. He comes after them. He pursues them. They're going to be slaughtered. And the people are like shaking in their boots. Oh, no, Moses, you brought us out here. We're all going to die. How many of you ever, how many of you ever tried to help someone and then they're whining about it? <laughs> all right, so they're whining about it. And if you read that text in chapter 14 of Exodus, he just says, shut up and stand still. I mean, that's a loose translation, but it's exactly what he's saying. And you will see the salvation of God. And so God sends Moses and he parts the Red Sea, right? Just like this parts the Red Sea. I mean, how many, that's a pretty big deal. You know anybody that's parted anything? Some of us have a hard time parting our hair. All right, and you say, we don't have any hair. Anyways, he parts the Red Sea. They cross on what? Dry ground. They get to the other side. They're looking back. Pharaoh goes, I'm God too. I'm gonna go through there. And you remember, and then that's the song of Moses, Exodus 15. If we had time, we would read it. But it, he's just celebrating. Literally, they got tambourines. They're dancing. They're celebrating because they have witnessed the power of God, the ten plagues. But now God tops it off. He kills Pharaoh, the God. And he's decimated all the gods of Egypt at that point. And there's this great celebration. And they're all like, our God 
is, is the one who reigns. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Now, just so you know, after the big party, three days later, they go into the desert and they all start complaining again. So we don't want to be stupid like them, but we do want to hold on to that song. And it's going to be a repeated song in heaven. That's what I want you to see. That song was not something for just Exodus 15. That song is for us today, and it's a song you and I are going to sing when we're in heaven. So, but there's a second song. It says, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, Exodus 15, and the song of the Lamb. What is the song of the Lamb? Apparently, Jesus is a songwriter because they're singing his song now. And notice what this song says. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. And, then, and it just goes on and describes how the nations are going to fear him and the nations are going to come and worship him. And this ties all the way back to the Old Testament and again, the worship of the triune God. It's just an amazing song. Now, having said all that, we get to the last set of songs. Revelation 19, 1 through 8. Look there with me. This is called the Hallelujah Course of the Bible. Hallelujah is only used four times in the New Testament. It comes from a Hebrew root that basically means praise Yahweh, praise Jehovah, praise the living God is how we would just translate it. It's only used four times in the New Testament. It's used like 20 times in the Old Testament in the, in the LXX, um, the translation of the Old Testament into Greek. But um, what I want you to see is this song, and I want you to notice a theological truth and then how you and I are told to respond. Now, you're going to sing this song in the future. You're going to be part of this choir singing this. But I want us to catch the theological truth because the application is still for us even this very hour. Now look there in verse 1. It says, after these things I heard, and there was a loud voice of a great multitude. I want you to notice again the volume. I want you to notice there's repetition here. I want you to notice these things. It says there's this great multitude in heaven, you're going to be part of this, saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So there's three things. They say, praise God. And then Why? Why should I praise God? Underline in your Bible. First one is because it's salvation. And we could talk a lot about that. We talk about that a lot. Um, and then it says his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. Everywhere you look, the glory of God is known. Friends, the glory of God is everywhere. How many of you like, you know, we're supposed to be like in summer right now. I mean, we're supposed to like have the sun out. You know, yesterday I was wearing a sweater and a down vest. I was so depressed. And I was with my grandsons, and I looked down at them, and I said, boys, summer will someday come, and we'll have vanilla ice cream. <laughs> you know, vanilla, how do you get vanilla? Say, well, it comes from the store. But, you know, God made these, these beans, and, and how many of you like vanilla, something with vanilla? All right? And, and I was telling my grandsons about the vanilla beans and how they were in Latin America and South America and so forth. And, and uh, Europeans came and they saw the vanilla beans and they tasted them and said, oh, this is really awesome. So they trimmed them and they brought them back to Europe. And for um, like 300 years, they tried to grow vanilla in Europe and they couldn't figure out how come they can't grow vanilla in Europe, but they can get it over there and, and over here. And, and, and so there was a scientist, a Frenchman, he was sitting there watching vanilla, one, one of these the vanilla plants, and he's just watching this thing and he noticed this special bee and the special bee has the ability to open up this plant in a special way to pollinate it so that it can grow the beans. And they found the secret. You gotta have the right bee. I mean... Who would have thought a special flower with a special bee? God's pretty amazing. Amen. And everywhere we look, we see the glory of God if we just open our eyes. And so there's this 
praise God, his salvation, his glory. And then it says, and his power. That's the third one, underlying that. Now, listen, heaven has just watched Jesus tear apart the wicked Antichrist, the, the, uh, the city of the Antichrist, Mystery, uh, Mystery Babylon talked about earlier. And they just watched all of this happen. And it says, the power that belongs to our God. So hallelujah, praise God for his salvation, his glory, his power. And then it describes the judgment on the great harlot and the corruption and how it's corrupted the whole world. Verse three, there's another, a second time they said, hallelujah. And the smoke that's rising out of this judgment of God. Well, for time's sake, skip on down to verse three. This is the third movement of their song. And I heard, and there was a voice of the great multitude, the sound of many waters and the sound of great peals of thunder. I remember the first time Jerry and I, we got married and we, we moved back to Michigan to go to Bible college and we were in this, her grandma's house and it was like a three-story house and we were up there and we had, out west we don't have thunderstorms like we have here. I mean, it was, and so like we were there sleeping and all of a sudden, boom! And the whole house is like shaking and Jared jumps up and she's got me in a bear hug and she's choking me and she was scared to death. I mean, we had never experienced anything. I was like, wow, that's the power of God. I thought, this is it. Jesus is coming right now. I mean, seriously, man, we never had anything like that. It was amazing. Jared's little heart's beating, and I'm like, it's okay, honey. I'm like, this is it. This is it. We're going to heaven right now. It's a wrap, Jared. This is awesome. Anyways, it was loud. That's the point here. And how... What are they saying in this loud, booming voice? Hallelujah, they're underlined it. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. So there's the fourth thing I want you to see. His salvation, his glory, his power, and now the fact that he reigns. Now, friends, our world does not recognize that God reigns. And Satan wants you to think that God doesn't reign. He wants you to think that God's anemic, that God is indifferent, that God is powerless. If God, if there really was a God, he would do something about all these problems in the world. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? You just heard me say it. Raise your hand. All right, listen. People say that all, go to a college, they say it all the time. Friends, God is at work. And let me tell you something. When God does something about it, they're not gonna like it. We're gonna see it in all of this right here. He's gonna, he's got, if you don't believe it, go look at the flood. Say, well, I can't look at the flood. Come with me. Let's go, look at some, let's go look at some fish on top of the world. Because God flooded the earth and he destroyed it because of the wickedness of man. And he said he won't do that again, but he's going to destroy it with fire. And that's what all this is about right here. And you know what? There's going to be a multitude that gets saved. And there's going to be others who harden their hearts. And the declaration is here that our God reigns. Now, let me just give you three thoughts about God's reigning. Circle it right at its margin in your Bible. Number one, it brings clarity to life. If you and I can get this theological truth that God reigns, there's a clarity that comes in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the brokenness. You remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate? Pilate says, don't you know I have authority to kill you? And Jesus looks at him and says, you don't have any authority over me except that which is granted from heaven. Friends, those words need to be on your lips when you face injustice and brokenness and the sorrows of this life. In the providence of God, you, live, you and I live in a broken, sorrowful world. Why? Because sin came into it and God said, don't do it, and we keep doing it. God tells people, stop murdering one. He tells them, love your spouse. We do exactly the opposite. He tell, tells us to raise our children in the near, fear and nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we're too tired and the kids don't want to go to church, so we're not interested in that. I mean, we do exactly the opposite and then we blame God for the outcomes. 
But when you and I come to the reality, the theological reality, there's a God in heaven, he's seated in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases, and it pleases him to allow us to have some freedom, and you know what? We blow it with our freedom left and right. How many of you ever had someone say, you know, I gave you enough rope and you hanged yourself? You ever have that? You said that? It's exactly what God does. All through the Bible, clarity comes for his people when throughout the ages they understand that there is a God in heaven who reigns. We could talk more. There's a mystery to it. We don't have it all figured out. But when it says, for example, in Proverbs 21, 1, it says the hand of the king is in, or the heart of the king is in the hands of God. He moves it wherever he wishes. There's a mystery to that. And I don't understand it all, but somehow in the providence of God, he works out these things. But you know what? His glory, his reigning is not always going to be veiled. There's a third element, and that's security. Security comes when you and I get the theological truth that God reigns because we can be still and we can know that he is God and there is none other. We can understand Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who reigns in the heavens, who can be against us? All of a sudden, now there's some security. Friends, it's a security your neighbors want that they don't have. And then there's three responses if you understand God reigns. Now, you've got to underline these quickly because time's failed me. Here it is. First one, verse 7. Let us what? Rejoice. Thank you. Someone got it. Underline the word rejoice. Turn to someone. Rejoice. Rejoice. Okay, that's the first one. The Greek word is this, uh, is this word that has to do with this internal joy. It's something the world can't have. Why? Because they don't believe God reigns. They're not going to recognize his authority. They're not going to recognize his greatness. They're not going to recognize his majesty. They won't see his fingerprints in all of this. But you and I are to rejoice because we see it. The second thing there is be glad. Turn to someone. Be glad. Be glad. Now listen. This, this Greek word here is an amazing word. It's not just the internal component of rejoicing, but every Greek lexicon, when you look it up, is the idea that the internal joy is supposed to come out of you with words and with appropriate action. Is this appropriate action? God reigns. Indeed. <laughs> no, that's not the appropriate. The response is yes. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's the gladness, it's, it's joy then expressed that the world doesn't get. You guys are going to be singing this to one another and to all of heaven. Be glad. Rejoice, be glad, and now notice, give glory to him. Friends, we are not good about giving glory to God. Now, this, this is going to be said right before the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then it talks about us going bef before him and having this, this, this supper with Christ and then Christ's second coming. But what I want you to catch is when you and I get the theological truth that he reigns, it automatically moves us to joy, it automatically should move us to rejoicing, and it should automatically move us to give God glory. And you know what? We're not good at this. But friends, you and I need to be good at this. It's everywhere in the Scriptures. I was with a business guy the other day, very successful business guy. Started out with nothing, very successful. I said, what's the secret to your success? God has blessed us. That's the secret. What did he do? He gave glory to God. He didn't say, I'm so smart. I'm smarter than all those other morons out. He, did, he gave glory. Y'all with me? I was with a friend today, Rita. Rita's been married 50 years. June 28th is her 50-year wedding anniversary. I said, Rita gave her a hug. I said, How, what was the secret? Jesus has blessed us, she says. And I'm like, oh, Rita, I'm going to give you a hug right now. Why, she was giving glory to Jesus because they had made it to 50 years. Friends, how do you have a 50-year marriage? You hold on to Jesus and your spouse. That's how you do it. 
You say, how did, how did you raise your kids? People ask, you know, how'd you, what was the secret of raising kids? Only the grace of God kept them alive through their childhood. Right? Amen. There's a, there's, a, there's a parent right there. Listen, you and I need to be people who are constantly giving God the glory. Glad, rejoicing, giving God the glory. We're supposed to be a singing people. Music is so powerful. It's seen 27 times throughout this book. I, I try and tell people the importance of music, and I want to say this, Satan hijacks everything God creates. And you know, we're so typical to listen to other things, but I want to say this to you moms and dads. You need to have a lot of music going on in your house. I had my grandsons over the other day, and they weren't listening to their Bible story very good, and trust me, I was animated. But it wasn't even working. And so I reached over and I turned on the music. And all of a sudden their spirits changed and they started to engage. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, 1 Samuel 16, but there's this guy, he's a king. He's got a lot more authority, a lot more money, a lot more influence than you and I've got. And he had rebelled against God and God took his spirit from him. It should make us fear disobeying God. He hardens his heart. He rebels against God. God takes his spirit from him. This evil spirit from Satan, because Satan's always after the most influential people um, in your world and my world, and Satan comes after him, and you remember he's tormented. Demonic oppression. And the only thing that would relieve it was the praise of God. And so he says to his leaders, go and get me someone that has a heart for God, that the hand of God is on him, that he will come and sing the praises of God. And remind me that God reigns, that God is still in control, that God still has authority, that God remembers his people, that God will save his nation, that God is a faithful God, that he'll keep his promises. And so David would come. They went and got David. They took him. He was young. They brought him, and he's singing, and he's playing his harp. Now, the harp is not my favorite instrument. But you know what? The evil spirits would leave, and God would be praised. Friends, music is powerful. Leverage it in your life. Leverage it in your life. Would you stand with me? Father, I'm so thankful for my friends. I just pray that you give us wisdom to be those who are genuine worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, would you help me to sing your praise with joy, with gladness, and with exaltation. Father, help us to sing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.